prayer and fasting this week. Actually, I'm going to go a little sidestep, just a little, because you guys are tired of hearing about prayer and fasting. That's what I hear. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just playing. I'm actually, I've got something on prayer I'm going to share next week. But this will be slightly different this week, because um, the Lord's just had it on my heart to talk about how important it is that we do this together. Uh, I titled this message, Jesus Didn't Do It Alone. I was thinking about this all week long, uh, a lot, that God in his infinite wisdom, in his plan for mankind, in his plan for sending his son to bring redemption and reconciliation, his kingdom on the earth, all this stuff, he, Jesus, and part of that plan was Jesus not doing it by himself, straight up, like, and so what I want to do is kind of talk about that. I got this picture up here first this morning because as I increasingly go out and meet people in bars or the gym or whatever, I've noticed this over the last several years, but just so much lately that in our culture, isolationism is so, it's huge. Like it, it's, it's just, it's, it's massive that so many people are simply looking for friends. Like they don't, we don't really have friends. We have, or our friends are just just a few of a few people. We don't really spend a ton of time with them, and like it's just been incredible. It's been incredible to meet people who we go and we talk to, and you know, as disciple making, we try to see if they're a person of peace, and they don't got anybody else in their in their community. Like, it, and it's all the time. It's constantly happening, happening left and right. And then you can go to the next slide if you want. And I've really been pondering too, like with the advent of social media in particular, right? Like this just takes us even deeper into this, like, isolationism. I was reading studies this week about, they've done a lot on adolescence and social media and how, I mean, it, studies show, I mean, there's, there's ones that conflict, but overall, they show that depression is linked, like, a bigger chance for depression is linked with adolescents who are on particularly social media more than others. I read one, I read one this morning about social media versus TV, TV actually, and this one boosted a little bit, as long as you didn't watch too much of it. it was, but when it hit a certain threshold and you went beyond it, TV started making you depressed as well. But there's something about social media with the whole, I, uh, the whole idea of, I mean, you see all the pictures of everything perfect. You know, you, I'm, there's cyberbullying. There's all these things that are coming against adolescents in particular, and it creeps into us as well. But um, our society is becoming increasingly, increasingly, increasingly isolated, and that happens in the church, right? Like, think about it. We have places that we can go and that have 2,000-member churches, and we're just as sad and such as isolated, excuse me, even depressed sometimes because you can just go and sit down and you can never talk to anyone. I mean, you can do it here. You can do it at a 50-person church. You can, well, maybe. I think we'll bombard you, don't you think? I think someone at Stones River is going to say something to you. <laughs> but... um yeah. I mean, if you're bigger, then they don't know if you're new or not, right? So that's not a bash on bigger churches, but it's the reality of like what's going on um, in our culture. And so today I want to talk about that, about how important this idea of prayer and fasting together is, and that Jesus, again, didn't do it alone. So if y'all want to turn to uh, Matthew chapter 4, you can pull the next slide, Kyle, if you want to. Verse 12, right? Yeah. Um, I'm actually going to go, like, last week, one of the passages that we looked at was the temptation of Jesus, right? Um, let's talk about what happens right after that, at least in Matthew's record. Matthew and Luke, they're really, really similar. All right, Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. Two people I want to focus on today. I want to focus on Jesus, 
and how he built community and a focus on Peter and the way Peter was called and the people who were actually influencing Peter to follow Jesus. All right, verse 12. When he had heard that John had been arrested, this is Jesus, he withdrew into Galilee. He left Nazareth and went to live in Capernaum by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, along the road by the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who live in darkness have seen a great light. And for those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. If you want to go to the next slide, if you don't mind, figure out just kind of put us in this so we understand what he's saying here real quick before we get into his call of Peter and Andrew. This is a map of the 12 tribes of Israel. All right, this is Isaiah chapter 9 is what Matthew's quoting right here. And so if you look where Zebulun and Naphtali is, you can see that we got, I've got arrows or I found an image with arrows pointing to those tribes. And if you see Capernaum, that's where Jesus was headed. That little sea is the Sea of Galilee right there, okay? So he, hearing that John has been arrested, Jesus is going about as far away from Jerusalem as you can and stay in Israel almost. Like he's really gone out. But here's the thing, the prophets have already prophesied about that, all right? If you go to the next slide, you can actually see how beautiful the Sea of Galilee is. Uh, do you remember seeing it, John? I bet you guys, I loved it. I know, it was just absolutely amazing. And so this is where he's at. There's a lot of Gentiles here. There are just absolutely Jewish people that are around the Sea of Galilee. But this is where Jesus goes after he's been tempted. All right? He hears John's arrested. He's been tempted by the enemy. He overcomes that. And he heads out to this region. Okay. Verse 17 gives us insight into what he's doing, what he's proclaiming. From then on, Jesus began to preach or to proclaim, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. What's so interesting about that is if you read more of Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to be quoting that in a month probably. For unto us a child has been born and a son has been given and what happens? The government does what? rests on his shoulders, right? That's the same passage of this idea that um, he's talking about the people in the region of Galilee are gonna, going to see this great light. So it makes perfect sense that Jesus goes to Galilee. I'm sure he knows what Isaiah is saying, understanding his calling, and his pro- proclamation is what? God's kingdom has come near. The government of God has come near to the people. Right? Pretty cool, right? What does he do next? What, is, what, are, like, what are practical steps? Because like, that seems huge to me. Like, I just, let's stop for a second. The idea of God's kingdom to these people, like they're under Roman oppression, you know, right? Like the idea that, that this kingdom that's supposed to be restored to the people of Israel is, going to, is coming near, that's like a pretty big statement. It's a monstrous statement, actually. It's huge. And so Jesus takes his throne and proclaims that he is the king. Actually, he walks up to some fishermen, (laughs) which I think this is intriguing. As he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea. They were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. So Jesus, with this huge idea of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God has come near, walks up to two fishermen 
who I, I know I've shared this before, but they probably quit schooling around the age of 12 and took up the family trade. They probably had elementary, maybe middle school. They're, they're country bumpkins, somebody might say, that have never had a lot of education, but they know how to do their trade really well. Not the type of people that become disciples of rabbis. Right? It's, just, it's not the reality. Jesus decides to choose them. Pretty interesting, isn't it? I love it. It says they left immediately. And he also says that I'll make you fish for people. So Jesus' invitation to follow him, was inclu- mission was included with that. It wasn't like Jesus didn't say, pray this prayer. He said, no, come on with me, and I've got a mission. I've got a plan for you. You're going to go fish for people now. You have something to do. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Remember last week we read the passage where I wonder when this happens, if James knows in a few years he'll be dead for the sake of Christ. Pretty sure he chose the right move because he gets an eternal reward. <laughs> but I wonder if in this moment he even considered, his mo- considered at all that he would be martyred for the sake of this following this rabbi. James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, they were, in a, they were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. So Jesus, with this whole huge idea of the kingdom of heaven has come near, understanding or knowing the plan of God, his, one of his first moves is to build community, like is to bring other people alongside Like, he understood the plan of the Father wasn't just for him to go, because he could have done that, right? I mean, God can do whatever he wants. He could have came and did a solo mission. He could have come and just went around preaching by himself and not inviting other people around, proclaiming the kingdom of God's here that um, I am the king and the kingdom of God. But he chose not to do this. I mean, it's it's crazy. I mean, he only stayed here for, you know, in ministry for three-something years or so, right? Like, we've said that. Like, he goes around doing this. And his first move is to just form community. And it really hit me when I thought about that this week, is that when Jesus is calling Peter and Simon Peter and James and John and Andrew, he's calling them to follow him, and he's following them, calling them to community with one another. Right? He didn't just say, you and me, you come follow me. Like, he's recognizing that he is building a, a brotherhood right here of people who are going to come together and do life together. And what do they do? Argue with each other. They fight with each other. But what holds them together? It's their following their Jesus is what holds them together. We live in this culture where, man, it's like increasingly, I was talking to Seth the other day because he, he deals with a lot of younger people, and I think it's worse among them. He's like, people don't know how to deal with confrontation. Like, they just don't know how they just run away from it or come tell me they're always snitching to me. He's like, I'm just so, t-. he's like, they don't know how to like go up to each other and go, hey, I have this issue <laughs> and not like, and like just deal with it, you know? But Jesus calls us to do that. He calls us to deal with it with each other, to grow with each other. It's going to be, there's going to be times where it's going to be, where it's going to struggle. We're going to be upset at one another. That's okay. Let's get through it. Let's keep following Jesus. But I've read this so many times and oftentimes, you know, we've probably read this thing where he goes up to him and says, follow me and I'll make you fish for people. And we went, wow, they just dropped their nets and followed him. What's the deal with that? Like, but there's more to the story, actually. A lot more. Turn to John chapter 1. Like, 
as you're turning there, I'm thinking of Peter, and I'm thinking of the day of Pentecost and how he is proclaiming this message with the other disciples um, about the kingdom of God and trying and explaining why the Spirit is falling on them and some people think they're drunk and all these things. And he's, pl- he's just proclaiming this message. And these 3,000 people, some odd people come to know Jesus as Messiah and Lord and King. But I wonder without other people involved, this is, I'm just trying to share how important community and other people involved, Peter probably would have never been there. He may have never been there. This wasn't just a thing where rabbi walks up to him and says, hey, follow me, there's, a lot, there's more to the story. There's other people that were involved in it. So if you go to John chapter 1, there, you already got it there. Now I've got to turn there. All right. I'm going to start on verse 35, but in, in context, um, John is talking about how he saw the Spirit fall on Jesus, rest on Jesus whenever he baptized Jesus. And it says in verse 35, the next day John was standing with his disciples, with two of his disciples, excuse me. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. So whether you realize this chain of events or not, John the Baptist played a role in Peter deciding to follow Jesus. All right? You'll see it. So we hear John the Baptist proclaiming, again, look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. I'll pause for a moment because in verse 40 it says one of the two of them was Andrew, who was Simon Peter's brother. Okay? We'll go back. So two, of the, two disciples hear this, and, and it says they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them following him, they're following him, why? Because they hear John's proclamation, this is the Lamb of God. Jesus, or he, asked them, what are you looking for? I, Jesus' response is so different than I think we think it is. You know, hey, I'm just so glad that you're following me, and just let's just... Uh, let me give you kisses, and the Lord loves you. There's nothing wrong with it. the Lord loves us all. But Jesus is like, what are you guys doing? Like, what do you want? Wouldn't that be, in, like, sometimes I wonder if we would have loved Jesus' preaching as much as we think that we do. I mean, he said amazing things, but he was also pretty blunt a lot of times, right? Like, I, I thought to myself about this, and for some reason on my mind uh, this morning was when J- Jesus is, like, talking about the cost of following him, and he's like, how many of you build a tower? And before you build a tower, you don't, you know, you just go ahead and build it without counting the cost. Because if you do that, basically he says you're going to look stupid and people are going to make fun of you if you can't finish the tower. I mean, that's basically what Jesus says. In today's day and age, it would be like, how many of you are going to go build a house without even figuring out if you have enough money to build it, right? And what do we do? We go figure out if we don't have a lot, how much the lot is, what it's going to cost to lay the foundation, do the footing, Okay, if I do a 2,100-square-foot home or a 1,500 or this, okay, what is the price? What is the framing going to cost? What kind of fixtures am I going to put? Am I going to put granite in this thing? I don't know if I can afford granite, you know? And you start looking at all that stuff, and then at the end, you're with a contractor or a builder or whatever, and they list it all down. Then they go, this is the price, and then you decide to build it. We don't just say, let's just go for it. Buy a plot of land. I don't know, Mike, have you dealt with that yet? I know you're real estate. <laughs> No one's just said, well, let's just lay, I got a few bucks, let's go ahead and lay that foundation and we'll just see what happens. But Jesus is saying, like, that, we don't, that's what he wants us to do if we choose to follow him, right? Like, when he's telling them, what are you looking for? Like, that's, he's saying, like, look, like, count the cost. This is like, this costs you everything. This is, this is a big deal. 
He wants to know, hey, guys, what do you want? So they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? That's a pretty simple request, I think, huh? I love how deeply relational this and just casual this kind of exchange is. Jesus turns to them and says, I need you to recite this creed and sign off on our vision and mission statement for the ministry. Oh, I didn't, sorry. That's not in there. I'm not against those things either. But no, he says in response to them, come and you'll see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, and it was about four in the afternoon. Our God is deeply relational. Like, his response to them was just simply, come on, let's go. Like, (laughs) it wasn't like, let me teach you something here. It was like, come on, just hang out with me. Let's go spend some time together. Isn't that amazing? Like, when he calls the disciples, he doesn't say, like, he just says, follow me. Like, come on, let's go. Let's do, if you, if, if you're interested, what do you want? If you want something, let's go. Come on. God, I just love how incredibly invitational God is and how important our relationship with God and with one another is. It's, it's hugely important. And these people go together with Jesus. Okay, I'll follow you. I'll follow you. Let's see what happens. It says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. So what did he say? Simon Peter, Andrew, excuse me, Peter's brother heard this proclamation of, that John made, look, the Lamb of God. Uh, he was one of the two, and he followed him. So Andrew is just really interested in this guy and what, <laughs> what he's proclaiming, what he's, what he's doing, who is this, who is this Jesus? So that's, he's curious. And Jesus invites him to fo- just, all right, let, come on, you'll see. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah which is translated the Christ, and he brought Simon to Jesus. Do you guys know that? So Simon, Peter, did not come to know Jesus. He wasn't just fishing by himself, and that wasn't the end of the story. Like, one of the reasons that Simon, the reason that Simon comes to Jesus here is why? Because of his brother Andrew. Because Andrew's curiosity in the Lord. Because Andrew's deciding to go follow and come and see who this guy is, who this Messiah is. And it says when Jesus saw him, he said, Simon, you are Simon, son of John, which will be called Cephas. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. And I flash back to that moment, to that time at the day of Pentecost. And I wonder, would Peter have been there? I don't know. Would he have been proclaiming this message? Would he be talking about the kingdom and the spirit if his brother Andrew hadn't followed and, and, and followed Jesus and came to him and said, we found the Messiah. And I begin to think of how important it is that, that we all work together in this. Like John had a message about the puzzle pieces that come together for our city, right? Everyone's not a Peter. And that's a really good thing because it would probably drive us all stinking insane if everyone was like Peter. Some of us are Andrews. Some of us are ones that, at least in this situation, help prop up the Peters and, bring it, and, 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 and help them walk in the calling that God has for them in their lives. Like, sometimes we read about Peter and stuff, and we don't realize, man, this wasn't done in a vacuum. This was a community thing that took place and because of Peter's relationship with Andrew and Andrew's relationship with John the Baptist and Jesus coming up to him and talking to him, all those things working together brought Peter to that moment. And I just, I think that's incredible. I think it's just beautiful. And I love again how it is, 
It is Jesus. It is God who's inviting us all to come and see together. He's inviting us to come together as community and to come and see what he wants to do. And that's what we're, that's what we're saying over this season of prayer and fasting is let's come and look at Jesus. Let's gaze on Jesus. Let's listen to Jesus. Let's spend time together as we listen to what he's saying so that we can make sure that we are following him the best that we can because guess what? There's a mission that God has for us all. There absolutely is. I just wanted to end today. I know this is kind of a short message, um, but I just felt like short and sweet by just sharing a real quick story um, that happened recently, and that is with Mike Stroud. You all know Mike Stroud, most of you. Timothy Network, if you don't, discipling uh, kind of organization. Um, several months ago, Mike met a, uh, a lady named Melissa. You know that story, John? Yeah, he met a lady named Melissa who was incarcerated. Uh, her husband had gone, I got, think she got life in prison. He got, excuse me, life in prison for drug trafficking. Well, she's left alone with her kids, has, doesn't know how to make money except for drug trafficking, so she chooses to do the same thing. I can't remember where she was living at the time, but she was driving through Tennessee and got caught. Um, big time thing. So she gets caught and she goes off to prison, and I can't remember how many years she was in prison for this, but a couple, 2019, she came out of prison, um, didn't know what to do. She gave her life to Jesus in prison. She said uh, she got a degree from Lipscomb, actually, in prison. So that was pretty cool. And then she just started going back to her own things. Like, this is very common when it comes to folks who have been in prison or jail for a really long time. Like, you come back and the world never stopped. Like, <laughs> everyone just rolled without you. It's just the reality of, of, of what takes place. And not only that, but then you can get institutionalized. And she said she was institutionalized. She was just used to the way things have gone because she was in there for so many years. And so she comes back without having a community to come to, like not having people to come to. And what happens to her? She falls back into her own ways. I'm telling you, isolationism almost always leads to sin. I, I mean, like whenever you become totally isolated, you guys, you all know what I'm talking about. The enemy just really can, can lay a hold of you. There was some kind of clerical error, and she had to go back to jail for a few months or two months or something like that, and they found out that it was an error. I, I don't know what all that was to do with, but she sees it as, saw it as the grace of God because she said, I was headed now the wrong path, and going back there kind of got me back on track. Well, as she came out, she got involved with some kind of ministry that got hooked up with Mike and then Karen, his wife, Tracy, Pat, like several people. There's a lot of people that were surrounding her, and... Um, and she really got her life back on track. And this was like recently, this is just this year. If you do the next slide, this was a poem that she wrote. She, just, she recently wrote, uh, I'll just I'll read it. Uh, for me, you paid for my sins at a hefty price, so you were bound to that cross for me, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Thorns crowned your head, great drops of blood began to drip. For me, you took every lashing from the whips. It is possible this cup be taken from me? Is it possible? You cried, but then said, if it was your father's will, you would abide. Seven-inch nails were maliciously driven into your hands. You suffered so much, this is hard for me to understand. For me, you gave the, the ultimate sacrifice, your death, so I can be washed of my sin and serve you, my Lord, till my last breath. 
Um, and this is that lady who had been in prison for such a long time. And I, I met her, on, we did a prayer thing on Zoom, and I met her at Nukes a month ago, maybe a little more than a month ago. Um, she's probably late 40s, early 50s. Well, I got a message a few weeks ago. She died. She had a heart attack, I think, or something, and she passed away. And I think of that last line that she wrote, you know, and um, one of the first things that, I, that came into my mind was thank God for people like Mike was thank God for community, was thank God for people who said, you know what, and let me tell you something, it was messy with her. Like, <laughs> there were things when Mike would get frustrated and challenged and stuff like that. But I'm like, where would, she, what, what, where would she be, you know? Would she be forever separated from God? Like, in this moment, if it hadn't been for people who had just been willing to, like, lay themselves down together. They did it together. It was a community thing. And um, she had no idea. I th- Like I said, I think maybe she had a heart attack or something, and she and she passed away. We can make an incredible difference <laughs> in the lives of our neighbors and the lives of the people around us, um, just like Mike did. And I just, I just, I just wanted us to meditate and think about that this morning um, as we take a few moments. We're going to take a couple minutes to, to just listen to the Lord and just recognize that every single like, I, I'm this guy that's got this big, I want to see this whole city come to know the Lord and all this stuff, and I do. But, like, it's these individuals. Everyone's a person. You know what I mean? Like, these life stories, this is real. <laughs> There's, this is eternal things in the balance. You know what I mean? These are lives that, are, that are, can be healed and be restored and all, these, and all this amazing stuff. If we'll just come together, if we'll just say, Jesus says, hey, come and see. And we say, okay, let's, let's come and see. Let's follow. But let's follow together because that's what he called us to do. He called us to follow together. So we'll do what we've done the last month or so and just take a few moments and, uh, and just listen, listen to the Lord. Does anybody have anything they feel is from the Lord they would like to share? I'll wait a few moments. There's no rush. If there is, there is. If there's not, there's not. Yeah? Is that, was there a hand? I don't want to talk about baseball, but... Uh, The Braves did win last night. 
But more important than that was something that happened after the game. Uh, a young man, uh, Danby, what's his last name? Swanson, who uh, played his college ball at Vanderbilt and is now in the pros playing for Atlanta, hit a home run. They interviewed him after the game, and something he said just really touched me. They asked him how he felt about all this. He said, well, you know, it's exciting, yeah, but he said, God has a plan for each one of us. And if we trust in that plan, we'll be where we're supposed to be. God does have a plan, Louise. Uh, Bobby wasn't here uh, last week, and she was not part of the community prayer that we had for Louise and Lonnie. And she has requested that we do that again so she can be part of it. So if any of you want to gather around uh, Louise and Lonnie uh, back there, um, Lord, we're so thankful that you do have a plan for our lives, and we ask you to give us the faith to trust in that plan, to believe that uh, you know what you're doing in our lives and that we can commit our lives to you. We pray for our sister Louise and for Lonnie as they face a rather scary uh, situation. But not just for them, we pray also for all of us who are facing frightening challenges in our lives. But just give us the understanding, the understanding that your plan for our lives is what really matters. Give us the faith and the strength to put our hopes in your promises and to believe that you will do what you say. We ask for healing. We ask for strength and comfort, and we thank you for a community who is willing to say with me, in Jesus' name, amen.